Please turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5, and we want to look at verses 27 to 39. Let's again give our attention to the reading of God's Word here in Luke 5. Luke writes, After these things he went out, that's Jesus, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Remember, the grass withers and the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen. As we start out this morning, I'm struck by the story of a Christian who almost became a member of the Backstreet Boys. Have you heard this? Now, those of you who are younger, the Backstreet Boys were a boy band in the 90s. Probably one of your mom's favorites, so you can ask her about this when you get home. But there was this believer, he was only a convert for maybe a couple of years, three, four at the most, He came from a family, particularly where his grandfather was a part of an entertainment industry. His mom was even desirous that, that she might find future stardom in the entertainment world. And so she would put him into positions of castings and he would be in backup roles and commercials and being able to do other things. Furthermore, the family needed the money. It wasn't well off, and he had a younger sister who needed some major medical treatments. And so this opportunity to join this boy band was quite appealing. Greatness, riches, popularity, fame. And yet it was through the influence of 
a school principal that came to him and said, you can't serve God and the world at the same time. And through that, he then heard the call to follow Jesus and to let go of this opportunity. One week from signing a contract to join this particular group, he told the leader or the manager by the name of Lou that he couldn't do this. It didn't go well. The manager even stressed to him that he could have opportunity actually to serve God and even draw attention to God by being a part of the boy band. But this individual refused. While he refused, he was also then wrestling with a call to the ministry and began to pursue that. Only to find two years later... In 1995, I believe, that this same manager approached him and said, Have I got a deal for you? How would you like to be the founding member of InSync? And he had to wrestle again with what does he do? We see in the call of Matthew this morning and even the interaction with the Pharisees, this similar type of struggle. The struggle of following Jesus. Even the willingness to sacrifice anything and everything in order to pursue the Master. Levi was in a situation where he had great wealth, great fortune. He had notoriety, publicity. And yet the question that came before him was, would he follow Christ? The Pharisees were also in a similar boat. They had their tradition, they had their lives, they had their practice, they had their understanding. But throughout their time, or during the time of Jesus, the call came before them also to abandon and forsake their system and their understanding in order to bow before the Master. This morning we also have it set before us. What do we do with Jesus? Particularly as we think about the old man, the old life, the way of sin, are we willing to go out with the old? We want to consider this in two ways. Firstly, the call to sinners. Secondly, the complaints of others. The call to sinners and the complaints of others. And through all of this, we want to see how Christ continues to direct our attention to Him to show that He is greater and that we should follow Him. Now, in the context of this passage of, of at the end of Luke 5, what we've seen is that Jesus is now coming to the third conflict with the Pharisees. We saw a week or two ago his conflict with them regarding the paralytic, an individual who couldn't walk. Jesus, in dealing with the one who was lowered from the roof, 
looked around, looked at this man, considered the faith of he and his friends, and consequently said, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees bought. He affirmed the promise of forgiveness by healing this one. Now we see Jesus' interaction with them as it pertains to the call of a tax collector. And then we'll see his challenge to Judaism. Look at the call of Levi, verse 27. After these things he went and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. Now, if you want to see an action that Jesus would take in order to upset the Pharisees and those entrenched in the Judaic system, you call a Pharisee, or call a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. They were the lowest of the low. They were the scum. They weren't even the top of the scum. They were the bottom of the scum. Why? Because they were willing to sell all of their countrymen in order to make a dime. Remember, Israel was under Roman occupation. And because of this military presence, then the emperor had determined that each country that they occupied would be taxed. And so through this approach, they would send out bids in order to pull the yearly taxes And the individuals who received the bids then would represent the government by securing funds from their neighbors. And whatever they could add on top of it, they would then make an extra buck. Through their approach, they were crooked. They would take bribes. They abused the poor. They would enforce expenses on individuals if they couldn't meet the tax rate by providing them a loan and then charge exorbitant interest, even upwards of 50%. And when individuals couldn't pay, they were willing to come alongside and break the legs of those who wouldn't put out. They were greedy, they were heartless, they were liars, they were abusive, they were thieves, they were cheats. And they turned on their countrymen. And here Jesus then comes to one of these individuals by the name of Levi. In the book of Matthew and Mark, he's also identified as Matthew. And Jesus calls this individual Now, as we have it recorded for us in Luke 5 here, we simply hear the one statement, follow me. There was more to this interaction by Jesus than just these two words. After all, Jesus would have paid his taxes. Levi would have heard of Jesus' reputation and the miracles that he had performed and the teaching that was set for him. And so God then was preparing the heart of this individual for this time in which Jesus then would come before him and call him to follow. The beauty in which this is described is that when Jesus called him In one of the other passages, we see that that it's not simply a matter of a casual glance. It's not simply of a just-so-happened. This isn't an 
accidental dial, as it were, on the part of Jesus to this one to then go, oops, sorry, I really didn't mean this. This was purposeful. This was intentional. This was Jesus walking over to him and saying, I want you, Matthew, to follow me. Jesus took the initiative here. Levi couldn't. This isn't about Levi's reaching to Christ, but Christ reaching to him. Remember, in order for someone to seek after God, God must seek after them. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 6, verse 44 and 45, when he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Jesus affirms this very approach when he comes to Levi and calls him. Recognize the beauty in this. We noted that he's a tax collector. He's the scum of Israel. He's on the same level as as very wicked sinners. He's not allowed into the synagogue because the religious leaders were concerned that, that this one, just by showing up, would defile the synagogue and all who were in attendance. His reputation was pathetic so that he couldn't even testify in a court of law because they were believed to be liars. And in fact, some even argued that it was impossible for a tax collector to repent. And so here is this one that Jesus comes to. He does not challenge him by saying, Levi, I want you to clean yourself up first and then come to me. He doesn't come to him and say, organize your habits, get your, get your stuff straight, straighten out your life, and then we'll talk. He's in the middle of his practice, he's sitting in the office, he's working through the monies he's received and the people who still owe him stuff, and Jesus calls him. Remember the importance of this. Because in Luke chapter 4, He had been in the synagogue in Nazareth and he said that the passage of Isaiah 61 was being fulfilled in their midst. That the spirit of the Lord was upon him and had anointed him to preach to the poor, to heal the broken heart, to give liberty to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus is again demonstrating this. He did so in the life of the paralytic. He did so in the life of the leper. He did so in the the life of of, uh, Peter, James, and John as he calls them. He did it in Peter's mother-in-law's life. All who were healed, the casting out of a demon. Throughout this section, Luke is teaching us and showing us the call of the Savior. So what happens in Levi's life? I'll get around to it, Jesus. I got time. I've got a pretty good gig going on here, Jesus. After all, look at look at my money. Look at the people that are with me. Look at all that I have. 
Not so. Instead, we see that Matthew hears the call. He left all, rose up, and followed him. He drops everything. This is a dramatic break. No more tax collecting. No more career. No more pursuit of the pattern. It's all gone. He lets go of it all in order to follow Jesus. What are we learning here? There's a cost when Jesus calls us to himself. There is a cost. It can affect our livelihood, not always. The fishermen, and earlier in Luke chapter 4, I believe, sorry, chapter 5, they still could go fishing. But Matthew couldn't go back. But all the disciples recognized that they, le- they left everything in order to follow Jesus. Because the call to Jesus to recognize Him as Lord and Savior means that we must leave anything and everything that would interfere with Him having the priority, the first place in our lives. Jesus Himself says, you must leave mom and dad and sister and brother in order to be my disciple. It's extremely costly to us. And yet there is the promise of transformation. Even as we heard from our catechism reading this morning, as our only Savior, He must have the sole place and sole position in our life, but He provides everything needed. He causes a change to occur in our hearts. So that even as deadness was once there, now there is life. He causes then that new work to then spring forth in our life by the power of His Spirit. He promises to always be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. He works His will in our lives and assures us that nothing can separate us from His love or from His intended purpose. He promises that even as He's away, He will come back to us and receive us so that we might dwell with Him forever. But it still costs It costs whatever may interfere with him having that position. Would you rather have Jesus? It may affect your career. It may affect your possessions. It may affect your security here on earth. It may affect your popularity. It may affect your friendships. It may affect every aspect of your being. But look at the promise that he makes. A secure position in heaven forevermore. A future that is bright and glorious. An inheritance that does not fade away. The opportunity to be a follower of Christ.
Are you willing to let go of your dreams, ambitions, desires, idols to have Jesus? Or are you allowing them to compete? Matthew saw this call and so he in turn followed through. Notice the work of this repentance that took place in his life. He obeyed, he left, he went forward, he was changed. How so? Because at the moment, verse 29, he was willing to be identified with Jesus. Verse 29, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew holds a party. This party reflects a joy. This joy is a reflection of the fact that he had been changed, that he's different, and he wanted all to know of the one who caused this. He's not ashamed to be with Jesus. He brings Jesus over, and in turn, he wants others to know of this same Jesus who called him. And so here he invites his friends, and they're all seated at the table, talking and eating. What is this? It's the expression of gratitude and the desires that others would know of the Lord and Savior. He's thankful that God has changed him, and he wants others to hear of this as well. Can the same be said in your life? Do you bear the fruit of gratitude because of the redemptive work of Christ that has been applied to you? Can others testify of the fruit that is in your life that speaks of your knowledge, your love, and your relationship with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do others know that that your only hope is found in the fact that you've been forgiven of all your sins through your Savior? Do others see the transformation that has occurred as you are united to Jesus Christ? Do you speak to others about the importance and significance of your Lord? Do you seek to demonstrate love for your lost neighbors? And work to have interactions with them that in time would build them in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, the religious didn't take too kindly to what had happened. The rest of the passage that is set before us is really the challenge of the religious, the complaints of the self righteous. Basically, they grumble. Their grumble centers around this. Why do you eat with tax collectors? Why do you drink with them? And furthermore, why don't you do the things that we do? The complaint of being with the tax collectors and sinners and and hanging with them and spending time with them is ultimately them saying that if you truly were righteous, if you truly were good before God, you wouldn't be with them. That'll file you. 
They'll bring you down. They'll affect you. They also ask about his practice of not fasting. What's that about? Well, in their habits, they fasted twice a week. If you recall in the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18, one of the things that he prides himself on before God is that he fasts two times a week. Usually fasts were on Mondays and Thursdays. It's possible that that this party was even on one of those days while they're in the midst of their fast, asking, why aren't you doing it the way that we do it? The whole issue here in terms of their complaints is all about their self-righteousness. They're standing before God on their own terms. They added to God's word by, by noting that fasting must occur twice a week. The Old Testament only requires it once a year on the Day of Atonement. The whole purpose brought forth in Luke 16 is that yearly the people of God would humble themselves and reflect on the affliction of their souls, that they would see their sins, that they would inspect themselves, and they would then make sacrifices in a spirit of of grief and mourning and sorrow with a desire that, that they would be reminded again of the promise of God through... The one lamb that would come to overcome their sins. But these religious saw their actions based on how others would make judgments about them. Fasting, it was public. Prayers, they were public. The giving of alms, it was public. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, that when they fasted, they didn't simply do that in the privacy of their homes. When they prayed, it wasn't in the privacy of their homes. When they gave, it wasn't with the, the, the one hand not knowing what the other hand was doing. Instead, when they gave, they sounded large, loud horns so that all would hear and know they had just given When they prayed, they had set times each day where they would go in public, in the square, on the most popular corner of the city, so that all would see them and hear these wonderful platitudes that they're giving to God. And when they fasted, they made sure that that they clothed themselves in a different garb, and they dirtied up their face, and they messed up their hair, and they were just mournful and sorrowful, so people would know and Encourage them in their self-righteousness. And so when someone shows up who's not doing what they're doing, who's not behaving the way that they're behaving, who's not affirming their belief system, they complain and they challenge it. What does Jesus say? Firstly, He says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus here just hit him. How so? Well, number one, he gives him an analogy. If you're healthy, you don't go to the doctor. If you're not, you do. Who is he coming to? Those who aren't healthy. 
What is he saying of the Pharisees? You have no interest in being well and whole. He's showing just how cold-hearted and calloused they really are. Here is the promised one living in their midst. Here is the promised one that they can hear, that they can see, that they can touch, that they can, can see all the different things that are happening. Amazing, miraculous works. The lowest of the low being called in the kingdom of God. The healing of the lame, the healing of a leper. Demons being cast out and all they can ask and all they can wonder about and all they can question is why do you go hang out with these types of people? And so Jesus then notes, look, you don't understand the basic level that God has affirmed. God says, I don't want your sacrifices, I desire compassion. I don't want your outward conformity, I want your heart. I don't care about your external practices, I want to see mercy displayed and unfolded, and yet you don't see this, you don't have it, and therefore you cannot and you will not come to me. So then they grumble again. Why do you eat? Why do you celebrate? Why do you behave as you do? And so Jesus then says, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. A couple of beautiful things that Jesus does here. Number one, he calls himself the groom. Think of the language of Paul in Ephesians 5 where Jesus is identified as the head of the church, the husband. And the church is identified as his bride. Jesus is noting then that that union that exists, that that mystical union between he and his people where they will never be separated or severed forevermore. And yet he says, while I'm here, while this work is unfolding, do you think it's a time for sorrow or celebration? You can answer this. Imagine if you were invited to a wedding. And as you show up for this wedding and you walk to the occasion in which this this bride and this groom come together to be married and the entire time it's just solemn. It's kind of sad. You're looking at it, there's no real music, there's no sense of joy or celebration, there's there's no sense of of just how how great it is to be in this. Instead, they just kind of walk in and they look like they want to be elsewhere and who knows if they're really connected to it or joined to it but they go through the motions and then afterward the family says come join us and so you gather together and they find this this dark damp dingy room and you're just there Thanks for coming to our celebration. Thanks for being with us. No food, no music, no joy. Maybe the dad even stands up and 
rebukes the bride. Why in the world of all the people that you could marry in the world would it be this guy? Or the groom's family is rebuking the bride. This, this sense of just sadness. That's not the occasion of a wedding. In fact, rabbinical law said that you cannot fast during a wedding. Because it was a time for joy. It was a time for celebration. It was a time for partying. And Jesus is saying, when you're in that situation, you don't mourn, you don't weep, you reflect joy. It was the occasion of the church up until the time of his death. It resumed at the time of his resurrection. It's even the time for us today as we meet with our Savior in communion. That as he is with us and we are with him and we we spiritually uh, feast together, it's not a time for sorrow, but a time for joy. But Jesus then goes on to note the further answer to their complaints through two stories and a rebuke. He says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes for a tear and the, pieces, the piece that was taken out doesn't match. No one puts new wine into old wine skins or else the new wine will burst the skins and be sk- spilled and the skins will be ruined. What's Jesus' point? His point is you put like things together. You put things that can handle and accommodate other matters together. So in the sense of a garment, when you need to put a patch on it, you deal with that which goes rightly and well. And the story of the wine, basically as they would harvest the grapes and press them and make the juice, then where they would store it, It couldn't be in something that was old because as the wine would ferment and as the gases would be released, it would ultimately burst the skins. Jesus is saying, Pharisees and scribes, you have your religious system of legalism and self-righteousness before God, but that's not what Christ is about and that's not what his kingdom is about. His kingdom is about calling sinners unto saving faith through him. His kingdom is about receiving the lowest of the low, the weakest of the weak, the sad, the sorrowful, the lonely. Those separated from God because of their sins, but who would understand the security of salvation that's in him. Sacrifices are made, yes. But the value of Jesus is far better. And his final rebuke is, they're not even interested. Why? They're happy with themselves. They're content. They're satisfied. They have their favorite beverage, and anytime anyone offers anything else, they say, no, I'm good with what I got, thanks. Yeah, but this is new. It's improved. Look at how much better it is. It's more refreshing. It's more fulfilling. No. I have what I have. 
I'm comfortable in my traditions. I'm secure in my status before God. I am certain that he will accept me based on all the things that I have done. I don't need you, Jesus. How about you? Do you see yourself in Levi's situation? Or do you see yourself in the legalist's situation? Jesus notes in that context, you won't leave the system that you're in unless you know him, you understand him, and you embrace him. The call is to come to the Savior, for through him is life. That life is beautiful, it's everlasting, but it may cost, and yet he carries it through. The individual who had opportunity to be a part of NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, but refused it, his story continues. You see, because as he had opportunity to consider joining the second boy band, he also then sensed a call to the ministry. It's not me. You see that Bill? Wait, is it McGee? No, it's not me. (laughs) And as he's working through that process of a call He tells the story of being at a movie theater, seeing someone who was all alone, who was sorrowful, who was broken up by what he had just seen. He tells the story of his dad having passed away due to cancer and how God just ultimately affirmed to him that call. God then opened up doors for him to be able to attend seminary in Orlando and work with Ligonier Ministries. And this individual is now the minister at St. Andrew's Chapel in Orlando, editor of Table Talk, and goes by the name of Burke Parsons. God does amazing things through Christ. The cost at times can be great, but Jesus is worth it. Out with the old to love and pursue the new. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as you set before us the inadequacy of ourselves, and even set before us the picture of our own wretchedness and our sinfulness, and do so with not only the clarity of the one, but the subtlety of the other, help us to always see Jesus, and may our cry always be, give me Jesus. May he be of most value. May he be of the greatest prominence and preeminence in our life. May we not be satisfied with our own works, our own standards, our own pursuits. May our comforts be found in him. And may our security lie there as well. Help us in this, we pray, even as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation.
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.